Hello, hello, beautiful people. Scorch the Fears, episode 53. We got the great Jeffrey Donis. He's a really cool guy. I've been following him basically since we started around the same time. I went into which straight into like single family wholesaling flipping. He said he was interested in wholesaling for a while and he said, screw it. I'm just going to go into multifamily immediately. So I thought it was pretty cool. I wanted to have him on, hear his story, hear what he does with multifamily and all of that type of stuff. So Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on and you're, you're very well going to be here. Um, so talk a little bit about your journey. Like I'm curious in the sense of like what, um, so first off, actually I should start with this. Tell, tell people like who you are, what you do, yeah. all of that type of stuff for, to start it off. For sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. I love the intro. Uh, very lively. Um, so yeah, my name is Jeffrey Donis. I'm 21 years old. I live in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I got started in real estate about three years ago with my two brothers uh, with the initial goal, and it still is the goal, is to retire our single mother. Uh, my mom is from Guatemala, so I grew up in a low-income uh, single mother household, grew up playing soccer, and went to college for about a year um, in the COVID pandemic hit, and that's when we actually got started in real estate and started our journey. Uh, we started out in wholesaling, as Jonah mentioned, and it was just a lot of like hustle. We were cold calling, uh, doing different strategies like creative financing, joining different mentorships. And that first year, we did a decent amount of deals, deals and learned a lot, which we're very grateful for. But we realized the scalability of the single family space uh, wasn't what we were looking for. So eventually, mm -hmm. we decided to transition into multifamily. Uh, which was a year, about 13 months into real estate. Uh, we ended up just deciding that multifamily was the thing we wanted to get into, uh, but we didn't understand how because, you know, we thought we, there was a lot of the big beliefs, and I know that your, your show is big on that. So uh, we realized that we needed to find a mentor and eventually join a few mastermind groups. To fast forward, now we're apartment syndicators. A syndication is when you purchase something and raise uh, money from a group of investors and then you go and buy it. So for us, it's an apartment. Uh, we'll find the deal after underwriting it. We'll then go and raise the capital from our private network of institutional or retail investors, and they'll get a return on their investment for doing that, plus other benefits that we can go into. Uh, but the goal is to hold on to the property for five to six years uh, to then sell or hopefully you know, hold on to it forever. Uh, but that's really the, the gist. I personally focus on investor relations and capital raising for our team. I have two brothers, as I mentioned, one of them does our acquisitions and asset management. The other one does our marketing. Uh, and our criteria is 100 to 250 units, B class, 1980s vintage, which just means when the property was built, 1980s or newer in North Carolina markets or Atlanta. Uh, so we're very active in the space now. We've done about five deals, currently working on our sixth. Um, oh, that's a little yeah. over a thousand units. But we're like partners on the first, on all of them are partners, right? You don't own, I don't personally own any of these by myself. I think that's awesome about the multifamily space uh, is that you get to partner with team members and kind of split up the tasks. And obviously that, that comes with splitting up the equity, but happy to add any value. And I appreciate you having me on, Jenna. Yeah, no, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, that's the whole point I think of real estate in general is like having like partnering up with people that like can do it more than you. I think it's, I don't think any, I, I think almost nobody should own 
real estate by themselves. And I don't know if I you know what I mean, but in the sense of everyone should have partners always, right. in my opinion, to split up the tasks, right? If you're freaking like trying to do it all on your own, you're going to get nowhere real quick, right? right? Like you're going to just be doing nothing all the time. <laughs> um, but let's go back to your mindset barriers, man. I mean, I'm curious because it's such an interesting journey of like what you guys were thinking about you're 21 which is insanely young like i love the fact i've been interviewing people who are like in their like 20 or 21 and it's crazy seeing you guys like just absolutely crushing it at that age i feel like i'm young i'm 27 but like seeing 20 or 21 that's crazy so like good on you guys um so what were your mindset barriers when you were starting like what 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 do you like was holding you back whether it was right when you were starting wholesaling or for multifamily, like talk to us, to us a little bit about that. For sure, man. So initially just getting into real estate, I think, and then this happened for both uh, the single family space when we were first getting into wholesaling and then even worse when we got into multifamily, which was the imposter syndrome, which I'm sure Jonah, you faced as well. When you're going into mm-hmm. this at a young age or just when you're brand new and perhaps you don't have a lot of money. Personally, I was obviously young. I didn't have a lot of money didn't have any network or connections in the space. So right. it lacked a lot of knowledge, right? I had never done a deal before. So I didn't necessarily have the confidence going into it. And those were all things that were literally just beliefs in my mind. Now, for good reason, like they, they weren't just, I wasn't a crazy person for thinking all of those things. Um, but eventually you just realize that those things are just beliefs and that's it. And if you just kind of can overcome them and just realize that they're just going to get in your way, there's no point in having them. Uh, understanding them, like understanding why they're there. But then on top of that, just pursuing past them was what allowed us to move forward. And uh, we did that by just take, by taking action. So um, really a lot of people in this space think that you have to know people or stuff like that. I, like I said, my mom, she cleans house. I didn't say this, but our goal is to retire her. And she grew up just hustling. She cleans houses and things like that. Had no network prior um, personally to real estate. And it was just by hustling, going to events, uh, going to conferences, getting on podcasts, making a lot of calls, that's how we were able to get into the wholesaling space on top of uh, eventually, you know, buying apartments. It's all just hustle and taking massive action. Gotcha. So is your why mainly your mom? Like what is, what is your guy's why? And also give us a little bit of the origin story. Cause it's kind of cool. You have two yeah. other brothers and you guys found out about real estate. How, like, how'd you guys even get into real estate? For sure, man. Um, and that's the first why is sort of time my mom. But on top of that, like, we have investors now that place their capital with us, which we don't take lightly. We're very grateful and fortunate to have those investors that trust us. So our goal is to not only help them build a life by design, but we want to inspire others through podcasts like this and platforms like that to start investing in real estate and just to build that financial independence that we're not only building for ourselves, but we want to help other people do it as well. Uh, But in regards to going back to when we first got started, I was a freshman in college about three years ago. And my older brother, he was the one that first heard about real estate. He's 24 now, but I want to say he was like 20 or 21 and I was 17. Um, So he's three years older than me. And he was sitting in his college dorm room. Uh, He was watching The Breakfast Club by a guy named Mark Witten. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of The Breakfast Club, Jenna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, um, with, uh, what's his name? The God something? Charlemagne the God or something? Yeah, I'm forgetting it right now. uh, Charlemagne, something like that. Yeah. Man, no, it's in the garden. Yeah, yeah, him. Um, he's in, in, on the show. He brought on uh, an African American guy who was doing wholesaling at the time, and he was like, "I'm a minority. I come from the hood. Um, 
Like I don't have much. I didn't start with much, and now I'm, you know, I have a multi-million dollar company in, in real estate, and it's helped change my family forever. And my brother really resonated with that message, so he started looking into wholesaling. He learned more about it, and the guy told him. I don't know if the guy told him or eventually he came across Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is right behind me. My brother told me to read that book. I read it, and then after that, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm sorry, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad first, and then read Think and Grow Rich. And mm-hmm. at this time, that's when I got that bug. And I'm sure you got the same bug, but we kept. Yeah, it starts with the books. 100%. And then the podcast. Yeah, we were like crash coursing the Bigger Pockets podcast, Wholesaling, uh, Wholesaling Elite. I think it was what it was called by Brent Daniels uh, with TTP. And we just kept learning. That was the one thing that we've never stopped doing either. But we just kept learning. And then we hadn't taken action yet, which is like the first part of the story was the educational process. But we were in that paralysis analysis stage, which I think a lot of people stay in. Uh, we eventually went to uh, Guatemala, which is where my mom is from, for the first time. And that, I was reading a lot of books while I was there. And my family, they come from a very humble background. So, like, I was staying with them for three weeks. And it was small things like having to heat up the water to take a hot shower and to flush the toilet, right. and dump water in the, the thing. And it was very different. Like, I won't go into the details, but it very, very different. And I was came back a different person in my opinion with a bigger perspective on the opportunities that I had here because I understood that all of the opportunities that I had, I was taking for granted before. So when I got back, we stopped like making excuses. My older brother, uh, he was the one that kind of started pulling lists of data, but we were all cold calling. So uh, we were in our dorm rooms when we got back, that was winter break, right? Winter break of my freshman year. We went to the trip, came back. Now we're in our dorm rooms and we're all full-time college students about 18 plus credit hours. And it was about two hours a day that we would each use the same dialer account, Mojo dialer. And we would just alternate wow. two hours from like five to seven, I would call then go grab dinner. And I was, I was a pretty good student in college. I wouldn't say high school, but in college I was good. So I'd study a lot too. So I really didn't have much time for much else. And two hours a day on top of that, my older brother was doing the same thing and he had a car. So he was driving around properties. He was like our boots on the ground guy actually going and meeting with sellers. Then the, the COVID pandemic hit and we hadn't closed a deal up until this point. So right. it was like six months in, we were at home now altogether and school slowly started to become uh, less of a distraction, I will say, because I eventually didn't go back. Um, during that summer that I was supposed to go back to school, I closed on my first deal with my brothers. It was on two deals, right. first one, but it was the biggest deal that we did. They were both wholesale deals. And it was that proof of concept that we needed. Um, so I just got really excited about real estate and was like, I really love this concept. I'm reading more books than I've ever read in my life. And I'm excited about reading again. I, I Honestly, school taught me to hate to, to read and learn. It will, That's not their fault. I'll blame myself. Like I won't be a victim. But I realized that I, I can just go a non-traditional path and really take a lot from what I'm learning on my own versus what I was learning at school. And I can always go back. So ended up not going back the next year. And that's how we got started. Love it. Um, yeah, man. I mean, also like, it's not everyone's supposed to go to school. Like I, it doesn't really matter. It's like you, yeah. you found your path and that's all that matters. Um, yeah. I'm curious, what's it like working with your two brothers? Cause like I've, I've interviewed two brothers who, um, they're like twins. And that was like really yeah. interesting to hear. You have three all together, three business yeah. partners and your brothers does like, does like the old argument over the toy set come up? Like what, how does it, how does it work? Like how, how do the dynamics work? Yeah. Just talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so surprisingly, my older brother, um, I don't, I don't like, he's not here to defend himself, but um, he's like a visionary, big visionary, and I, we like to say he's like the crazy one. So he'll come up with the crazy ideas. My my twin brother and I were more of the breaks. So my other brother, he's uh, my twin brother. We're both more logical than, than my other brother. My other brother just thinks crazy. So what we'll do is like he'll come up with these crazy ideas and we'll kind of put the brakes on it. Um, and it's just like a, the dynamic is there's three of us, which is awesome because it's an uneven number. So when we have mm -hmm. something at the end of the day, we'll come up with a vote. And it, it's always about like debating. So if we have something we don't agree on, it's fine. If you can make a logical argument behind it, then we'll, we'll have that discussion. And it's awesome working with them because one, we come from the same background. Obviously, we grew up together. So we share that and we understand like our morals values are very aligned on top of that we have similar whys right retiring my mom building a great company helping people um and then when it comes to like small things like if i if we get into a fight if it was another business partner i know it would be different because i can't just say what what i want to say without thinking of how i have to word it so i don't hurt their feelings at the end of the day we have unconditional love for each other so they know i'm not trying to like if i'm being like a douche then they'll they'll be mad at me, but they will get over it. Uh, they won't take it to heart, and you know it'll be like a lasting thing that bleeds into the business. It'll just go away. So those are some reasons why I really enjoy working with them, and I'm blessed because we also have the same work ethic. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that helps us grow our business at the pace that we're growing it at. Uh, we're all in alignment with where we want to take the company, as I mentioned, and that doesn't come with a lot of sacrifice in regards to who you're spending your time with. We're all single, and we did that intentionally. Um, things like small things like that and working from like nine to nine most days, right? Because you love what you do. It's hard to find business partners that are all in alignment with that. And then you can cut me off if I'm speaking too much, but um, we, we live together too. So it's a constant mastermind. Which, oh, whoa, you live together? Yeah, man. It's a constant mastermind. Like even when I'm walking my dog, I'm, I'm, I'm with my brother and you can say it's bad now that I don't spend a lot of alone time. I think that's the only downside, but I'm always talking about life concepts business concepts it's all all non-stop and i love the mastermind because i could speak out loud and i have someone who i like to think you know is like-minded and not like the, not in all the senses but in certain senses where they can carry the conversation and we kind of bounce ideas off of each other and this is all the time so i think you learn a lot by doing that and you grow as a person where you can actually speak out loud on what you're learning and i'm obviously always reading books and listening to podcasts so i just have new things i like to talk about and it's great to have people to do that with yeah, no, I love it, man. No, it's it's pretty cool to see what um obviously the pros it seems like is you guys all work together, you're brothers, so you guys all like each other, which is freaking awesome. Um what are their cons? Cuz like I mean, I've, you know, like I hear from notorious BIG don't mix blood and money, right? Like what are there are there any cons that you would see that you've had with working with your brothers and then you kind of went over the pros, but just like, is it like yeah. you get annoyed at each other sometimes or what do you think? Cause that's like, I would imagine it's just like, like you're literally every single second yeah. almost doing stuff. No, together. That's a good point. I'd say the only, it's hard to think of, of one, but when I, what comes to mind is when you're working with the people that you like grew up with and you love, and now you're trying to separate being a brother versus being a business partner, um, right. it kind of becomes the same thing, which I can only see that as, like a good and bad thing, right? So the bad thing would be, uh, it's hard to separate business and then time for family. Um, so we almost always like, that's the first thing I go to. So like with one of my, my older brother, for example, typically our conversations are always the business or like our goals and things like that, which I can even argue and say that's a good thing or a bad thing, depends. But um, 
that's why, I don't know. Right now that's kind of our focus, and I can see why that would be a bad thing. But that's probably the only thing, and honestly, I don't mind it too much right now. Love it. So, okay. So what were your, so what were your guys' fears when you were just starting out? Like, let's say, I mean, you just started, you're still in college, you've done a year, right? Like maybe you've read some books, but like COVID hits, you don't know what's going on with the economy. You have no idea what you're doing. Um, Like what's going through your mind? Like what, what, uh, what's happening there? Yeah. So when we were first just getting started, it, it was the fear of rejection was the first thing we had to overcome. So obviously when you're cold calling, you're getting cursed at. And I know, you know, <laughs> uh, we were yeah. getting told no all the time. That quickly went away with like the first thousand calls, which we made very fast. On top of that, eventually leaving school, that was very scary because my mom, as the, you know, kind of coming from an immigrant background, her dream was for us to go to college and graduate, which I completely understand. And it was hard, hard decision for us to make. But that was something that I was scared of because once I let that go, I felt like I was going against what I had been groomed from day one. I went to, you know, K through 12. I knew I was going to college or so I thought. Um, so that was something that was hard and is scary for sure. But I, I mean, as I mentioned, I was reading a lot, man. So and I still do. That's the thing that I think that people really need to take away is like you have to be a lifelong learner, which I'm grateful and blessed to to have been able to read a lot of books recently. And some of the books while I was reading helped really help me through that thought process, which was if something scares you as long as it's like, you know, it makes sense, it's typically going to help you grow. Um, so the thing that scared me was dropping out of school. And I was looking at the path that I was looking to go on because I hadn't started yet. And I was like, this is something that excites me. It's going to challenge me and it's going to help me reach my financial goals. We just help my mom and she doesn't see that right now, but I have faith in it and I know it's going to work. So I'm going to take that leap of faith. That was scary. On top of that, going to these events, I was like 19, 18, had no money but I'm like surrounded by real estate investors and they're all older than me by, by far. So that was scary because I walked in not knowing what to expect. But the one thing I've, I've always been good at and I learned it in high school was just going up to people and not being afraid to talk to them. It's a very small, simple thing, but I guess you can call it like an extrovert, but I still think it's just like a skill that you develop. So like I would go to a lot of gatherings in high school um, and I would just be like the only person that from my certain school at this gathering and I just have to, you know, either make friends or it'd be very awkward. So I would just kind of put myself in those uncomfortable situations all the time. And I learned small things like how to start conversations, how to get people talking, how to make friends with people. And I used that skill immediately. I was still kind of just left high school. I was now at these real estate conferences though. It wasn't like a high school gathering. Now I'm at a conference. I apply the same skill and slowly just start having conversations with people and slowly you start building your network of millionaires and you know real estate investors. Um, and that's something that really helped me. I was scared to do it, but as I started having these conversations, it helped me overcome that imposter syndrome because now you see these real estate investors in person, face-to-face, you realize that they're just people too, uh, and they want to help you most of the times. They're very uh, abundant-minded, and they're looking to you know be a go-giver, and, and especially when you're young or new, they want to help you in any way because typically there was someone there when they first started that was helping them. So there are certain things that like I, I feared, but how I overcame them really was just by, as I mentioned, just taking massive action. I love it. So t- there's two things that I really want to talk about out of what you just said, and then I'm going to give my opinions on them. But I want to first talk about the lifelong learner thing you were talking about earlier. Um, so what does that mean to you, like to be a lifelong learner? Like, is it just reading books or like, is it more than that? Like, what what does it mean? Because I think that is very critical. Um in yeah. your success 
success in being an entrepreneur because you can be, I think you could, if you eventually, if you shut off, I mean, you'll, you'll just stay wherever you are, right? Like if you stop learning and honestly, if you stop learning, you, you're eventually at some point going to just rip, go out of business because right. stuff changes over decades and all that type of stuff. So just kind of just what's your, what does that mean? For sure. I think to, to put it into one simple line and also I want to give you an example of um, something that I always like to reference when I'm asked this, but it's uh, always stay curious, right? Um, all the time. But there's, uh, do you know Matthew McConaughey? I'm sure you're familiar with him and his movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. he gave a Grammy acceptance speech one year. I don't know if you have ever seen this video, but he was wearing like a white tuxedo and I think the inside was black. And he was like, the person I want, my hero is me in 10 years. And every single year, that person is still 10 years away. So mm. to me, that's exactly how I think. Like, I, I never want to stop growing. I never want to stop improving. And that I never really want, I want the gap to remain there. And I think people, some people might see that as, well, you're never going to be happy. Like, no, I'm happy in the pursuit. I think as a man and as a person, like my man, I just mean person, not like the specific person, a man, right? But um, we were put on the planet to work and to pursue something. And I think that's where I'm the most happy and fulfilled is when I'm, working towards something. So when I reach it, I, I wouldn't want to reach it ever. Right. Um, so for me, I break that down in like the more literal and actionable steps by my daily habits. So certain things that I do uh, are, I read books a lot. I read about 30, at least 30 minutes a day. It's not something that I'm trying to grow, but it's just something that I, at least 30 minutes a day, I like to read the Bible. I am very like faithful. So I, I try to have really good conversations with my friends and people as well. I ask a lot of questions but on top of that, I'm always watching videos and listening to podcasts, audiobooks. And then um, in regards to like going to events and conferences, I do certain things like that as well. But I think it's in all, all, all aspects of like me as a person, I try to do it. So on a spiritual level, uh, on a uh, intellectual level, whether I'm reading or joining different mastermind groups. And then on top of that, it's really just by having an open mind as well, I think, especially at a young age. But even I think it's harder to have an open mind as you get older which I'm not old yet, but um, that's something I always want to make sure I'm intentional with keeping is having that open mind because like, I don't see the point. I think you're just going to like die sooner if you're uh, going into things with a closed mind. I think there's always something that you can learn from someone or some new experience. 100%. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, like the lifelong learning thing, I mean, it's like I said earlier, like you're just going to die unless you like, unless yeah. you do, like, what are you, what are you living for if you're not constantly learning? That's the fun yeah. of it, right? Like what gets me, like, I love the single family space and I love my wholesaling and my flipping and my buy and holds there. But like, what gets me excited is thinking about like doing what you guys are doing with like the multifamily and trying something new. Right. Yeah. Um, and that lifelong learning process seems like one of the most fun things ever. Um, so my other question from what you had said earlier, um, had to do with mentors and like how to find them because I, people constantly ask me that question is like, how do you become my mentor or how can you, can you be my mentor yeah. or like, can, how do I find a mentor or something like that? Right. Um, yeah. So how, how do you do it? How does yeah, one yeah, find for sure. it? So for me, what the way that we did it was one, uh, I think like just trying to do some type of research on the person, but like the, I approach it with, I would want to take advice from someone that I would trade places with. That's a Dale Carnegie quote, I believe, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And I think mm -hmm. that's where I heard the quote, but 
in that in in that like thought process, you're just trying to find someone that's doing what you it is that you want to do and have some type of proof that they're successful at it. So that was the first step. Now I've had multiple different mentors for different reasons, but I'll talk about my real estate mentors. One of them was a guy named Pace Morby when I was doing single family. Jen, have you heard of him? I'm I'm part of sub two, man. I love Pace Morby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still a mentor. Um, obviously we're not like focused on single family and subject two is hard to do now for our deals, but I learned a lot from family, by the way. I don't know if you've seen his recent stuff. I'm sure, I'm sure. I haven't, but I'm sure a lot to learn. He's he's awesome. Like the way that we found him was just by going on social media, social proof, right? We like credited that. And then I'll I'll transition to my next mentor, who's my multifamily mentor. Um, His name is Mark Kenny. And the way that we found him was social proof again, but he doesn't have that much of a social presence. So I had to go get referrals for people that have already like worked with him. And I just spoke Mm -hmm. with him, found out exactly what I was looking for. And the only only way that you actually can learn that is by trying things on, in my opinion, trying things on your own and then seeing, okay, this is what I need because it's not working. So once you know kind of what you're looking for on top of that, by talking to people and asking them what they were looking for in a mentor and why they chose this one, then they can kind of give you an idea as to why they ended up choosing that mentor, giving you the feedback and things like that. But what I look for on top of that is access to the person themselves. Um, certain certain things where like you're going to have to uh, like talk to some coach or something like that. I, I, it's not like a bad thing. I just would rather have the access to the person themselves. Um, and then, as I mentioned, having a good track record and good reputation so you can do all that through social proof. But that's if you want to go the route of actually paying for a mentor which I, I think that's what we do. I mean, a lot of people go to college and spend thousands of dollars on education and they're not willing to buy a pay for a mentor. I, I don't see the thought process there, but for me, that's what we were able to do, thankfully. Uh, now, if you're not able to afford a mentor, I think there's still ways that you can you know find someone who's willing to mentor you. You just have to bring value to them in some way. And you just do that by finding someone that's doing what you want to do. Has that You have that social proof or uh, some type of like proof that they're doing whatever it is and they're not some like, random person but once you identify them try to find a way to bring them value uh, in exchange maybe that will offer mentorship but you can find them through social media uh, local meetups uh, online virtual meetups and things like that and don't be afraid to ask because a lot of people are willing to help yeah 100 percent. i mean that last part is exactly what i tell people it's like you gotta figure out you gotta figure out like the first step is you're right like first off that you not you need to know what you're looking for like what yeah. you need to look for in a mentor is who do you want to be in 10 years? Like what you said earlier, mm-hmm. like that really who you should be looking for. And then two, you got to start looking at yourself. Like what are you, you need to know yourself and what you can add value to them. What are you good at? What are you willing to do? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're like, I would, if I was somebody, I, and that guy truly needed a free mentor. I would I would go to um, a Pace Morby. I'd go to I'm, what was your mentor's name? Say it again. Yeah, Mark Kenny. Mark Kenny, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, here's what I can do. Here's how I see it relating to what you're doing right now. I will work for you for free um, if you're willing to take me on, and I'm going to do this. And I see it making you X amount of money in the next six to twelve months, right? Yeah, something like that. I think is like the best thing to do where it's worth it. Like that would be worth it to me if somebody was like, I'm willing to do this. I can set it up for you. I see it making you this much money. 
right? And then like, I would naturally train them as that keeps going on. Or you and I did the same route, right? Like I paid for, I'm part of sub two. So are you part of sub two? Is that why, or was Pace more? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, See, yeah. he's shaking his head, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> so he's shaking his head. Yeah. So I was, I'm part of that mentorship. And then also um, I joined one called Astro Flipping. I think, I think it's the quickest way and the easiest way it, because like for me and probably for you, I don't think I could work for somebody ever again. Yeah. Like even it, like in that way, it's like, I'd rather just struggle for a while and then figure it yeah. out. Right. Um, so it depends on the personality, but I'd say, I'd say just, um, do it like as quickly as you can. So wait, when did you, when did you get a mentor? Right. Because like it was, was it after your first deal? Was it before? Talk about that a little bit. So like, um, and I always like to say this, I think you don't have to always know the mentor, even like have like that active relationship and agreement. Um, all the people behind me, they're authors. I view them as my mentors as well through what they've taught and what they teach currently through their content, their books. So a lot of the stuff you can get for free or just by paying a little bit of money for, you know, by their book and you can get mentored by, by them through their books and teachings. So the first mentors I had were the, the authors I was reading. And then on top of that, the courses and the videos I was watching online for free on YouTube and things like that. But then it was about, uh, I want to say like six, seven months into my, my real estate journey when I actually got into sub two. Um, the first deal I closed on, I made, as I mentioned, the most money that we made on any deal in the single family space. And immediately I already was watching Pace Morby on YouTube. So I knew where I was going to go. I knew he had a mentorship and I knew how much it costs. I just knew I needed to close on this to afford it. So once I closed on it, um, I already just knew where I was going, wired it, boom. Um, then I was into the group and it was a small group at the time, like 200 people. So we had a little bit more access to them at that time. But that's how that's how quickly we were willing to pay money. And I think people are afraid to invest in themselves. And the yeah. one thing I realized is like you are the commodity, you are the asset, the best asset you can invest in. Um, that's you'll never like be able no one will ever take that from you, the education and the experience. So don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, one hundred percent. So let's um let's go more into your story, man. So <laughs> you're part of Pace Morby's group, you're part of Sub Two, especially at the beginning, which is cool. Um we were probably that might have been how we met in the first place. I'm not as sure because I also joined sub two around that time. So yeah. I, because I don't remember exactly how you and I met. I just remember like like seeing your Instagram stuff and being like, point. all right, we probably did meet that way, man. Honestly, um, probably. But yeah. so talk about the transition to multifamily. How that happened? What did what prompted that? Go into that a yeah. little bit. For sure, man. So uh, we were we we were like always in mastermind groups, networking. And we got on once, uh, it was a wholesaling mastermind group. And it was about, I want to say like 13, 15 months into the business. And we, we were on the mastermind call. It was in, you know, in the nighttime. And one gentleman jumped on. His name was Alvin Hope Johnson. He's a syndicator that focuses on, hope, on uh, development. Uh, so he was talking about how he was structuring that kind of uh, deal. It was through a syndication. I had no idea what it was at the time. But I thought it was right. fascinating because one, he's an African-American guy. So like, you know, I'm Hispanic. You don't see a lot of minorities as many as you do other, other races. So that, those are things that caught my eye. And I was like, okay. And he was telling us, you guys can do this too. I was like, cool. And it sounds awesome. And he was wearing like a nice watch and things like that. That made me seem like, okay, this guy has it put together. And I'm not doing it for the materialistic things, but just to kind of paint the picture. Um, and he seemed like he was doing, you know, doing well. He was enjoying what he was doing. And I was very intrigued. So I started looking at the syndication. And I'd already been watching Grant Cardone, who had been 
planting that seed in my head as well. Like get into multifamily as soon as possible, as soon as possible. And we just kept thinking we can't do it because we don't have enough money. We have to wait until we build enough cash or capital to be able to afford to get into multifamily. But I realized, wait, wait, wait. Like if I don't need to put all my money, if it doesn't have to be my own money and I can raise it, then technically I don't need money. So that was a limiting belief, believe it or not. You don't need you don't need your own money. It is hard, harder if you don't have money, but it's still possible. And we realized that, okay, why do we want to get into commercial real estate? We kept learning. We realized that one, it's more scalable. Two, uh, it's less risk, believe it or not, because with a hundred unit apartment complex, you can you can uh, sustain the debt on that asset even if 10 people are not paying. But if you have one property and one person stops paying, now you're in charge of paying that debt or else it's just going to go into foreclosure. So that's why there's less risk. And on top of that, we always wanted to get into commercial real estate. That was the end goal anyways. And we were obviously young and just getting started. We were working like nine to nine every day anyways. I was doing it all day anyways. I was thinking, why not just climb up this tree that I'm going to eventually jump into anyways? Why not just start now? Like I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. And then my brothers and I had a mastermind. We were like, okay, what's holding us back? Why don't we do it? Eventually came to the conclusion that we were just going to go for it. So how that looked was we were obviously spending money on marketing for single family. We were doing cold calling and text blast, RVMs, English voicemails. And we were like, we're going to cut all that off. So we cut it off, took the profits, had a pipeline. And we were like, this pipeline is going to help us survive until we get our first deal. Little did we know that was not going to last as long as we thought. But we, it was a pipeline nonetheless. Eventually, right. closing a few more deals over time in the single family space that helped excuse me, pay some bills and things like that. But um, we just started cold calling brokers ourselves. The first thing we did, sorry, was we read the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless. He's probably the most famous outside of Grant Cardone. He's like, he he runs a company or he's a partner on a company called Ashcroft Capital. And he's a big partner in the space. Like a lot of people know him. He throws a really awesome event. That's how I learned about the book. He had a podcast. I was listening to that as well. But the book was the first thing we read and we treated it like a textbook. So it took us about three days, believe it or not, to get through it through Audible. It was on Audible and it was a long book. So we kind of like crammed it took all the notes and then came together again, another mastermind and decided like, what were the next action steps? And the first thing was he talked about a lot of different things, but one thing we did was he said, create a thought leadership platform, which is a social media content on Instagram, YouTube. He had a podcast. So we were like, okay, why do you need to do that? Because you want to establish credibility when you're raising capital. So like if people can't find you online or, they're not like thinking of you as an expert in the field. Why would they give you money? You're a ghost, you know, like for all they know, you're lying. Unless you're on right. social media or unless you have a podcast where you're talking to other experts. So one, we started the podcast that we have. And two, we were already on social media, which is yeah, podcast real quick. Let's try to, let's plug it real quick. Yeah. The real estate monopoly. I appreciate okay. it. Yeah. And yeah. we were already on social media, man. So. I'll put it up there, but you keep going. Thank you. Thank you. And we were already on social media, so that helped. We were like, okay, now the, the content will just change. That's what we thought. So uh, we started just posting content about multifamily and things like that, as well as just learning. Um, and we started taking action. So in the book, it talks about going straight to brokers. And in, in multifamily, specifically large multifamily, over 90% of deals are dealt with and handled by real estate brokers, commercial real estate brokers different from single family, which typically you can go direct to seller. Um, so 
for us, we were like, all right, we're going to call brokers and try to get our first deal. Like we don't need, we'll just do it. We'll take as much action as we need. We quickly realized while calling these brokers that one, they speak a completely different language. They ask you, where are you going to get the capital? How many deals have you done? Um, what's your net worth? What's your liquidity? Things like that. Mm-hmm. You have access to lenders. No, to all of them, right? <laughs> like no, none. Yeah. And quickly got rejected on all those. And we were like, okay, let's take a step back. We need to find a mentor, which the book talks about, that you can leverage their track record. Yeah. Because even if you were to win a deal like ma- magically, which will never happen in my opinion, if you've never done a deal and you don't really know what you're doing, the broker can typically, typically sniff that out pretty quickly. And the reason they yeah. won't reward you a deal, if it's 100 plus units, the reason they won't give it to you is because why would they think you can close? Most likely, you know, typically you can't. So uh, once you get awarded the deal, let's say you do and, and you aren't able to close, they're not going to get paid because they only get paid when you close based on their commission. Right. right? And it ruined their reputation as a, as a broker to the seller. And it's all about reputation in real estate, but really, really big on reputation when it comes to multifamily. So the right. brokers were taking us seriously. So we realized we needed to find a mentor. We went to bigger pockets, started surfing the web, doing research on mentors. And I kind of walked you through how we did it. But we found a few groups. They were like mentorships, if you want to call them. Um, just like Pace Morbies, but for multifamily syndication. And we came across one guy eventually named Mark Kenny. Paid a hefty fee to get in. Uh, it is, I would say, pretty expensive, but worth the investment because once we got into that group, now it was different. Now it was like game on. We're going to go back to the brokers. And as soon as they ask us, like, how many deals have you done? Yes, we've done this amount of deals. Mark Kenny has now over 11,000 units, over a billion assets under management. And the cool thing is you can leverage their track record and say that you've, you're partnering with someone who has done all of this. And typically right. they know him. Sorry. Typically they know who this guy is because he's so well-known, has a great reputation uh, that people are like, okay, I know this guy is serious. So they start sending you deals. Now, how I got into the first few deals, it was just by networking. So I was in a mastermind group that I joined through Mark. He has an, a network of people in the group. It's like a hundred people. And these current people are all do different things. Now they come from different backgrounds. A lot of them were executives at corporate uh, in the corporate field or come from back from like real estate, single family, fix and flips and all ended up here. Now, some of them are finding deals. Some of them are raising capital. Some of them just have a lot of money and are investing as LP investors, limited partners, or a passive investor in these deals, um, things like that. But I just made connections with people in the group, made friends with them, and find found ways to bring them value. So for one guy, he found a deal in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, it was 138 units. And I realized that I couldn't necessarily like bring investors in because I didn't have any investors at the time. But what I could do was find people who did have investors, but didn't have a great deal with a great operator, which is the person that runs the show on the deal, like executes the business plan. Uh, I didn't, they didn't have the deal, but I had access to a deal, but they had access to money. I could connect the two and bring value to both parties and then try to find a way to like, you know, I'm like, hey, man, if I make an introduction like this, you know, a guy who can bring, you know, a lot of money and he wants to partner with people like you, would that be a value? And he was like, yeah, it will be. It would be. So I made a few introductions, made a few calls, didn't take that much work initially on the back end, like in the front end. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just hustling, talking to people, but building my network and keeping a, you know, a note of who who is who and what they want, what they need. Um, so eventually made that connection. Um, and I was also able to meet some investors along the way. I brought some investors on. I was able to help that sponsor with some random things that he gave me to do. Like 
I was playing an active role, but on my first deal, you shouldn't expect, I, sh I wasn't expecting to like have a, a very large role in the project. Um, I just wanted to play a, a role, whatever, however small, and get a piece of the of the deal. So that's how we were able to get into the first one. And then I just saw that formula worked on the first oh, deal. I have a question. Yeah. So for bringing, like for knowing the guy who knows the people who like are the investors, right? That's that's the level of degrees of separation, right? That you found the guy who has who knows all the people with the money, right? Correct. Okay. So then I'm curious, how much does one get of a multifamily deal for that? Like what I'm just curious what that's worth to a deal. Yeah, like in I and I won't go into specifics, um, because like for, for deals like this, obviously there's a lot of equity to go around. But you're pretty much as any GP is compensated based on their overall contribution to a deal. And my contribution right. in that deal wasn't large. So it wasn't that big. Yeah, and it wasn't that big on the first four deals, if I'm being transparent. But the thing is, one, I was getting an education. Two, yeah. I was getting, I am a GP on those deals. So I have that track record. I have access to calls. I'm on the calls on all of them. Um, and when you're doing that, you're it helps you with your confidence. I visit the property yeah. multiple times a year. I'm helping them with like the minute things that they don't want to do, but I'll do it happily, you know, on the first mm -hmm. few deals so I can kind of learn a lot as I go. And that's stuff yeah. that you cannot find in mentorships. Like you can, there's, I don't even know if you could pay someone to, to, to do that. Like you could probably invest in a deal, a large amount, and they'll give you access to all that. But for what I did, I was just getting like invaluable return and it wasn't always monetary. It was more so educational. Um, but in regards to answer your question, it wasn't that large of an amount. Um, and, and obviously, we would not just bring in people. We were like, I was keeping my investors updated. I was helping with some marketing pieces, small things like that that they just didn't want to do. I was helping out with um, just to make sure we're compliant as well. But it was really just me learning a lot throughout that process. I love it. Awesome. So sorry. Keep keep yeah. going, though. Yeah. No, keep so going then, with like, I'll keep going. For sure. So we, we multiplied that uh, process by like four so we did that on the first four deals, uh, and then to come to our fifth deal, which we just closed on, on the fifteenth. Um, and I won't nice. talk about too much because the offering is still open. There's a lot of like rules with the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, uh, and if it's a five hundred six B deal, you're not allowed to advertise. So that's why I'm careful with my wording. But yeah. we closed on a deal last month, and um, we're that I'll go into like the the learning lessons on that deal. So you, uh, my brother, he's our acquisitions guy. He's my older brother, to, to, to clarify. He was just reaching out to brokers. Eventually, he got a hold of one who let him know that he had an opportunity in a certain market that we look in. Uh, and that's what happens with these brokers. Most of the times, you're just going to have to like get through hundreds of deals to find one that actually pencils out. And eventually, one will, but you just have to be consistent and persistent with it. Um, eventually, he found one. They were, we were awarded the deal. We went and walked it, underwrote it again. After so like initially you'll underwrite a deal using an analyzer. It's like an Excel model. You'll plug in the financials, the trailing 12, which are the profit and loss statement from the, the property that's provided to you by the broker. And then you'll also plug in the um, rent roll, which is also provided to you by the broker. Um, the rent roll is just keeping track of each unit and what they're getting in rent. You combine the two and kind of plug it into an analyzer. Uh, and He does it. So like I, I just know how he does it, but I don't actually do it myself because I don't like doing it. Uh, so he'll, he'll analyze it, come up with like returns. And as long as it checks the boxes and meets our returns, it's good to go. We'll go ahead and fast forward after walking it. And then you go to the property, you'll like walk it in person again. 
uh, with your team and make sure all the numbers crunch together. You'll submit your LOI once you get accepted. You go and do due diligence with your inspection uh, or inspectors and your rest of your team, your contractor, things like that. Um, that takes about two days typically, but it's like all day. Uh, eventually, that's what we did on our, all of our properties. Uh, we were able to get it under contract after long negotiations. Um, and once you get a property under contract, then it's time to raise capital. So typically you have anywhere from 45 to 60 days. And we always like to include a 30-day extension if needed. That'll put us about 90 days. Um, and then 90 days to raise however much money you have to raise. So that's what we've done on all the deals. Uh, typically we get it done on time. Certain economic environments, it'll be harder to raise capital. So eventually like we found our own deal and that one was definitely difficult because we were like the lead sponsor on that deal. So we were kind of running the show and we still are and it's a lot of learning experience. But to go back to those first four deals, if we hadn't done that, it wouldn't have been possible to do this next one because through that process and journey, you're able to learn a lot. But on top of it, you get this confidence because you've done it before, you've seen it. And when you're speaking with investors or partners, lenders, insurance brokers, the broker, it helps to know subconsciously that you've done this before. Uh, and you have an awesome team. That's the one thing that I'll have to like really give all the credit to is my mentor is awesome. Anytime I need him, and this guy's like worth a lot of money, uh, could be doing a lot of better things at the time, but he wants to help people like us. So I have his number. I can call him whenever I want, and he'll answer 99% of the time, and he'll text me back very quickly. If not, having people like him in my network, and I can call him a friend now, is, is invaluable. So um, you have an awesome team that comes with certain groups like that. Uh, but that's how we've been able to get to this point. It's been five deals now, over a thousand units that we've been able to partner on. Uh, thank yeah. you because of the group. I love it. That's awesome, my man. So talk a little bit. Um, so talk a little bit about how would you recommend somebody start? Should they do it your way? Like just kind of, I almost consider that like a micro flip of multifamily. You're finding, you know, the guy who manages deals and actually makes them happen. And then you're just finding a guy who knows the money who like actually has the money. And then, so you're not really raising private money nor finding the deals, at least at the beginning. And then you're just kind of in the middle connecting them. Is that how you'd recommend people start the same way that you did? Or is there another method or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, the, the gist of that, like the mindset with that is uh, there's just so many ways to bring value to people in life. And in this case, that's how I brought people value was through leveraging my relationships. And then obviously you have to do other things like that. They're not just going to be like, oh, okay, you make one introduction, boom. That's all you have to do. Right. No, like you have to do other things too, which is what I did and I kind of went into. But that's how I initially got started was just by trying to be as valuable to these awesome, valuable people as, as, as I possibly could. So I got creative with that. No one taught us how to do that. We kind of just trial and error and fell upon that strategy and it worked. Uh, but now, obviously, we're doing our own deals. But to get started in multifamily specifically, I think it depends on your goals, your situation, and no journey will be the same. I always like to say that. So if you don't have any money at all, I, I would say, like, personally, I think you should probably try to get that situation changed. So you probably want to learn some skills. I think sales is probably the most important, sales and marketing. So if you can get, like, a sales job and then work your way up, maybe start buying small multifamily um, you can always house hack like a duplex or a triplex and then slowly refinance and slowly build your capital and then eventually earn some type of equity stake in a larger deal if you want to or just continue working your way up by going the small route. 
or if you're really interested in syndication because you have parents or a network of people that you can raise capital from, all you need to do is find a deal and learn how to talk about that offering and that kind of deal structure to that kind of investor. If you think you're capable of that, go ahead and try that. Uh, you'd be surprised, like regardless of your age or background or whatever, it's all a mindset and mindset is just, uh, I think age is just a mindset. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It's all about how you know and kind of how you think, in my opinion. Now, obviously right. experience and wisdom comes over time, but like small things like how does, do you, how, how, what is a syndication? Uh, what are the benefits? You know, what is this deal? What are the risks? That's just knowledge. And over time, you'll kind of get better at learning it quickly. But initially, it just takes a lot of time of like talking to people, actually doing it. But on top of that, just studying and being like obsessed with it. So there's certain things like that. Um, and it's hard to me for me to give you like a direct direction. But I would say those two things, uh, depending on where you're from, it's either trying to increase your income or if you already have that going for you, then trying to learn more about what you're interested in. So that we kind of pick a direction to go in. And I'm happy to like, people can reach out to me. Um, my friend. We'll get to that at the end. I'll, I'll put yeah. you, I'll put you, I'll, uh, at the very end, we'll give out your info, your social, That's your birthday, all that good stuff. <laughs> my good friend Ethan, man. He's back in town. Can't wait to see him. <laughs> see him this um, so, okay. Awesome. And then, so your stories. So with working with your brothers, like on yeah. this one that you're about to buy, you guys are the main GPs now, right? That's where you were saying like on this new deal, like as in like, so it's basically your deal, you're running it. You raised all the private money. Like, are you guys the only GPs on it? Good question. So no, not the only GPs. Um, and I, as I mentioned, I'll try to like not go into too many specifics, but uh, not the only GPs by any means. We have other partners that we're uh, working with, as I mentioned, my, my mentor, yeah. he's not only my mentor, he's my partner on deals. So he serves so many purposes, whether he's giving advice or uh, in this case, he signs on loans for us. So he's a key right. principal is what we call that's it. The, that's the key person. That's, that's the person you want to be is the guy who just signs. Exactly. The <laughs> that's what we all that. yeah. and just because I like people probably don't even know like how you can just make money just by being rich. Yeah, no. So like what he does uh, in, as you uh, so like in the space that we were working in, when you're buying a ten million dollar property or twenty million dollar property, um, you have to have a certain net worth and liquidity. And net worth obviously is what you're worth when you're looking at all of your assets minus your liabilities. And then on top of that, your liquidity is how much cash do you have in the bank. You have to have, meet a certain standard and requirements to be able to sign on certain loan amounts. When you're buying these properties, we like. The power of real estate is leverage, one of the biggest powers, right? There's cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, tax benefits like depreciation, uh, and then the leverage piece. That means like you you in like stocks, you can't really leverage, you can't take a loan out from like Wells Fargo to go buy their own stock. They won't do right. that. But they will give you a loan to go buy real estate. And it could be anywhere from 60 to 80, 85% typically. Um, so that's awesome because instead of having to go let's say a hundred grand, let's say a hundred grand, just keep it simple to so go buy a house for a hundred grand. You can go to the bank and get $80,000 and put 20,000 down as a down payment, 20%. And you right. can go buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of an asset, which is awesome. That's unheard of. You know, um, that's the power of real estate. And my mentor, I couldn't go to the bank because my net worth and liquidity isn't at 20 million yet. Right. Or whatever requirement they would need, but his need like years. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he, he'll like jump in and like you know, and it, it obviously, 
I won't like brush over this. He's worked a long time to get to this point. So it comes with a lot of hard work and sacrifice, which I think anyone can get to. He just obviously will underwrite the deal. Like he'll play a big role throughout that process, but eventually it's where he just, he signs on a loan um, and he takes the risk. That's why he gets a big piece of the equity for doing this. He'll take a lot of the risk for signing on it as a key principal. Uh, and it's not like it's just him signing on the piece of paper and he doesn't analyze it. He, he does understand that if things go like south, typically these are non-recourse, meaning that the bank won't go after the, the signer. They'll go after the asset. But sometimes in some cases it's recourse debt, which means they'll go after the person that's signing on it. That means they're liable. So that's why he'll get obviously some type of compensation and equity for doing that. But that's why when people have a high net worth and high liquidity, um, it's awesome because you're able to do things like that. Yeah, I love it. So um, talk a little bit about the economy and how that affects multifamily, because I know the right answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because it's like the classic naysayer question, in my opinion, is like, like, Jeffrey, don't you think it's like a bad time to be investing in multifamily real estate? Because if interest rates are going up, that means property values are going down. You have to your debt servicing is going up so that then your uh, rents, your overall NOI, net operating income how much money the property can bring in is going down, which means you're catching a falling knife now. Great question. And this is like a lot of different approaches that I like to take on this kind of question. So my first one would be like uh, compared to what, and what's the alternative if we're not investing right. in real estate, right? Are we going to leave our money in the bank under your mattress? Um, are you going to invest in stocks? Are you going to invest yeah. in crypto? Uh, what, else? what else? What will we invest in? Right? Like, so let, let's start with the first one, the bank. You're maybe making two percent. That's 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 really generous too. Two percent. Probably not. <laughs> right, exactly. You're not even making two percent. But let's say you're making two percent. Uh, inflation is eight percent right now. It's even. It's like uh, what six percent at least. They're trying to bring it down to three percent. Sub sub three percent. Yeah, I think I think we're still at like seven percent or something like that. I don't know. Exactly. Well, let's just be. Let's just get generous, like conservative. Six <laughs> percent. You see that negative four percent. Okay. Now, when you go to stocks, uh, stock market obviously it's going up and down every single day. It's volatile. So that's not. I mean, if you want to be there, go for it. But that's not where I would want to put my money. Crypto, that's with FTX and all that's going on there. That doesn't seem like the best alternative either. And then just leaving it out of the bank in your in your pocket, that means you're making 0%. Now, 0 minus... You're losing 6%. Negative 6%. Exactly. So with real estate, there's obviously so many benefits. But that's my first point. It's like, where, where else? What's the alternative? Now, if there is no alternative, so why does this mean like, why is this the right investment? Now, I think... There's obviously many different things going on with the economy, but one thing is rents in certain markets, although they are decreasing, they're still going up a certain amount. They're still increasing just by not as much, not by 18%. Like, oh man, that sucks, right? Now it's just 10%. And now it's just 8% or, or 5%. But as long as, even if they were to be stable in certain markets, which that's why it's important to invest in certain areas that I believe in, I think the Sun Belt um, is a great place to be because a lot of people are moving here. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of jobs coming here as well. And with that right. means we'll still have that demand for rental uh, re rental properties. And as interest rates go up, specifically in the mortgage uh, with mortgages and single family properties, a lot less people are able to afford uh, homes, but people still need a place to live. So what does that mean? That means they'll most likely become renters. And if there's a lot more renters, that means the renter pool is increasing. We'll still have demand at least, if not more demand for rental property, specifically multifamily. So in our properties, most of them, and I think it's so interesting because I do keep up with like what's going on in the economy, interest rates and all of that. I, I think multifamily is still a great place to be. 
not only for the depreciation benefits, which are the tax benefits, um, but on top of that, right now is like when Warren Buffett says you want to buy when people are fearful and you want to be fearful when people are greedy. Yeah. Right now, people are fearful. And it's funny because like when two years ago, three years ago when I got into it, I would be like, everyone's buying real estate right now. Like I don't even, when would they want to be scared to buy it? Now I'm starting to see. It's so interesting because I, I kind of saw that philosophy but didn't see both sides of it yet. Now I'm starting to see, okay, a lot of people are scared and no one wants to buy anymore. That's when you should buy. Why? Because you're able to get these deep discounts on assets that like not that long ago were worth a lot more. And real estate is cyclical, meaning it will come back up. So if you're able to get these properties at a steep discount, I mean, only imagine what kind of benefits and advantages you'll, you'll, you'll get in the future. Now, you can't be like foolish and just pay crazy prices right now. Obviously, things are changing and you have to understand how they're changing, which I think is awesome when you have awesome people in your corner. You can kind of approach that problem with their knowledge. If you're not, if you lack that knowledge, you have awesome people in your corner and they've been through cycles like this. So ask them, like, what, what would you do? How do I approach this differently right now? But that doesn't mean there's not opportunity. And I think that is what this is. Is a great opportunity to buy. So I'll just leave it at Warren Buffett's uh, saying, be uh, greedy when people are fearful, when there's blood in the streets, and be fearful when people are greedy. And right now, people are not greedy. They're fearful. So I think this is the best opportunity to buy real estate in a long time, and I think it'll get better. As you know, who knows what will happen next year with the recession. A lot of people think there's like a high likelihood that we will have a recession, which obviously who knows? Like we don't know where interest rates are going to go. The Fed most yeah. likely will raise interest rates uh, December 13th through 14th. I think that's when they're meeting. It's like 90, it's like 90% plus, 91% based on an article I was reading today that they're going to raise it 50 basis points, uh, which is, who knows? Like if they do that, that's fine. I mean, obviously we do certain things on our properties to mitigate that risk in regards to our interest rates. Uh, if it's floating debt, you can buy a rate cap and small things like that. I'm not saying that's going to fix the problem, but there's certain things that you can do to mitigate risk. But on top of it, I think it's better to be in the arena then in the, in the stands and I'd rather like buy stuff today and, you know, try my best to mitigate that risk. Uh, but understand that I'm taking action, trying to improve my company, improve uh, my, my situation with myself, my investors as well by actually doing deals versus just sitting on the sideline uh, and waiting for things to happen. Yeah, no, I 100% think it's the best time to buy multifamily real estate, especially, but any real estate in general is when interest rates are high specifically. And I'm going to give you, you touched on it a bit, but I'm going to go even more into depth into it of the fact that when interest rates are high, that price is so much more important than interest rates for when you buy an asset. Like the price you buy it at is 10 times more important because what will happen is, is A, like you're saying, rents over time will always go up. I guarantee you rents will be more in 10 years everywhere than it is today. Right. So no matter what your rents are going to go up, what rate goes up depends. Right. Unless yeah. you invested in like rural Kentucky, like, OK, <laughs> like you should have chosen somewhere where there are people actually having babies. Right. right. Um, other than that, like your rents are going to go up Two, once those interest rates go back down and you either refinance or it's variable interest rates, then your NOI just immediately goes up and you immediately just get free money for doing nothing, basically. Right. Which is pretty cool in the sense that I think single family, multifamily, whatever it is, now is the time to start buying. Don't wait till like the bottom or whatever. Or don't wait until it starts going back up. The time is now to start buying and holding real estate. Um, I think it's a little harder for flippers, like people who are going to buy and then immediately resell. That's yeah. hard. 
um, you have to buy at a really, really, really deep discount. But if you're going to be in it for the long run, this is this is the freaking time, man. Like, I like I agree with what you were saying. Um, so uh, it we've hit an hour. So I just want to ask you my last question that I always ask everyone that I really like asking people. Yeah. So. Jeffrey, if you could go back to you right when you were just starting real estate, you're 17, you're just starting to read the books. What would you say to yourself then as you are now, knowing everything that you know now, if you could like go back in time? Yeah, I would say uh, read this book, Who Not How. And, and like that, the reason I point to this book is because if like you are, you're starting, you're brand new, obviously you, you might not know much about what you're trying to get into, but if you can just find people that do, and I'll go, I always like to go to metaphors. So um, there's a John D. Rockefeller on one of his interviews or in the book, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill talked about it where he was at his desk and there was people that were like critiquing him and accusing him of not, not knowing much and kind of being dumb, quote unquote. He was like, well, I know what I need to know to run my business efficiently. And you can come in here and ask me any question you want. And I guarantee you, I'll give you the answer. And people started walking in, and I'm probably butchering the story, but you'll get the gist. So people were asking him questions, and he'd push a button on his desk, and a specialist in whatever topic that they were asking him, like some random question about like world history or something, would come in and answer the question, and he'd say next question. The point of that is he hadn't, he didn't he didn't know everything, but he knew people that knew the answer to whatever it was. That's what I'm trying to create is a network of people, and I've done that to a certain extent. I've done that to be able to get to the point where I am, is I built a network of people I can tap into where if I have a question that I don't know the answer to, I'll reach out to them and leverage their knowledge to be able to answer that. Obviously, I try to make a symbiotic relationship, but if you're brand new and if I was to go back and tell myself that, I would say read that book and understand that it's not about what you know, but who you know. That's why the title of the book is Who Not How. Yeah, I love it. I love that book. I, I want to, it's a good book for sure. Um, all right, my man, what, what can, so how can people bring you value? Like what, well, actually let's first start off. How, where, how can somebody reach out to you just in general? Is it, is it Instagram? Like, how do you want it? How do you want people to find you? Yeah. So you can find us on Instagram at Donis brothers. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Jeffrey.donis and any platform for social media, Donis brothers. And then we have a podcast called the real estate monopoly where we interview uh, multifamily and just other real estate professionals on, um, Tell me if this is right. Sorry. Yeah. The real estate monopoly. No, no, like these, these, uh, look at the lower no, left hand corner. Jeffrey, just J E F F R E Y. E Y. Yep. And then, um, and what about that? No, you're good, bro. And then our website, if you're interested in going to our checklist, if you're interested in like learning how to vet certain deals and kind of have a checklist as to when you're looking to passively invest in anything, uh, I think it's an awesome checklist. It's www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. Uh, feel free to check all that out. And as always, feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm a resource. www.donnersinvestmentgroup.com slash what? Checklist. Checklist. I'm putting these up on the lower right hand corner yeah. so people can see them and like and make sure they spelled it right. Thank you. Um, cool, man. So, all right. What should, what, when somebody reaches out to you, what should they say? What do you need? What's the value that they should be giving to you in order to get into your, uh, you know, get yeah. what they want from you. Yeah. Tell me first that you heard me on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Jonah, Jonah, Jonah sent you. And uh, that way I know where you're coming from because I have a lot of people that do reach out. And if you can reach out to me personally, my other one, Donis brothers, 
Um, like Kerwin, my other brother, will answer, but he might take a little bit longer. So yeah. if you have a specific question for me, just reach me there. Um, it's J E F F R E Y. Sorry. J F. Hold on. J F F R E Y. Dot Donis. Um, and if that doesn't come, I'm just took like Jeffrey. Right, yeah, the one <laughs> I mean, they'd eventually find it, but nonetheless, I'm <laughs> they <laughs> at some point find it. Yeah, yeah, but you can just say like, you know, um, give me like uh, typically what I would ask anyone is like, what books have you read? So if you haven't read Rich Dad Poor Dad or Thinking Grow Rich, and these are on YouTube, so like, if you have access to the internet, you should be able to listen to it at least. I say listen to those two books before you reach out. Uh, typically, that way it shows that you're like truly passionate and serious about whatever you're trying to do. And that way, you know, we're both kind of making the most of our time. So as long mm -hmm. as you've read those books or you can say you have, then I'm happy to talk to you. And I think that's pretty fair. Okay. Awesome. That's, that's cool, man. So, all right, then, um, you've been an amazing guest, man. I've really enjoyed it. I really liked hearing yours. Cause like, I'm thinking about how like I'm going to get into the multifamily space. So yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to don't leave after I end this because I kind of want to talk to you a little yeah. bit also about that mentorship and like sure. what it entails and stuff like that because I might join it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, guys. They have amazing content. I don't know. I don't know if I want like follow you personally, but I follow definitely the Donis Brothers one. Thank you. It's pretty cool stuff. They got they got some good editing going. It's like thank it's you, pretty man. tight. Yeah. I one hundred percent watch it. Jeffrey, my man, do you have any last words? Um, I would say the last thing is if you're not, whatever you are, like faithful or not, just believe in something. I believe in God, but whatever you believe in, have some type of faith. I think that's where it starts, having belief, belief in yourself. On top of it, taking massive action, you'll be able to achieve awesome things. I love it. Awesome. Guys, next week, the podcast, it's still going to be at the same time. It's going to be a very interesting one. I'm going to not be on it. I'm going to be in the, I'm already in the Dominican Republic right now. I'm really happy. This freaking, this, there wasn't like too much cutting out at all. It was like pretty yeah. damn smooth. Yeah. The fact I have Caribbean internet. Um, I am going to have Munif Saza and Love Francis. I don't know if you know them, Jeffrey. They're, they're more sub two people, but they, they are a husband and wife couple and they're going to interview each other on it so it's gonna be cool it's gonna be an interesting one very different talking very getting much more relationshipy and businessy it's gonna be really fun guys so don't miss that one that's gonna be same time same it's thursday 5 p.m pst it's gonna be amazing guys thank you so much i will see you on the next one let's go All right.